preaching in Jesus' name this morning. We just got a calf we're going to raise for beef. And I was wanting to get some corn in my little bin and, and, uh, in the barn there for, uh, we, we name our calf royalty. So his name is, uh, Slick Willie Snorkel Fooster the Ninth. Anyhow. <laughs> and so I, I'm going to go to the, go to the uh, mill to get some corn and, and then I saw the neighbor, he's got his combine going there right across the road. And so I, I, well, I just get my pickup and go over there and he'll drop some in and I know how much the pickup pulled. It pulls 23 bushel and so, so we, Drop some corn in, and and uh, we got talking about the corn harvest and that high wind we had. It was about a two mile wide stretch right across Waltham, and all the corn was busted off about that high. So I'm asking him how he got how that went, and yeah, yeah, well they had to combine at two miles an hour. You don't think they lost much, but. But he said the corn harvest overall not that great. You know, he said he just didn't make good ears this year, and and uh, but he said that's just just the way it is. You know, some years you make good corn harvest, some years you don't. And and I said, well, I'll have to say about the the farmers in our church. I says, you know, they don't we don't have whining farmers. I mean, it's like, you say, how's the corn harvest? Ah, oh, it was really, really good, or, it, yeah, not too good, or what milk prices, or, oh, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, or, no, not too bad right now, or whatever. And said, you know, I said, they don't whine. You know, they just, you have to ask, and how it's going. And uh, and he said, well, if if they're a whining farmer, they won't be a farmer very long. He said, uh, "You have you have to believe in tomorrow. You have to believe in tomorrow if you're going to be a farmer." And uh, he said, "If you make it good, he said you don't go out and spend it all because uh, if you if if you make really good, Mother Nature will make sure that some of that is taken care of in a couple years ahead, and so you, you don't squander your resources." And, and uh, so he said, "You live, you live with um, this perspective that next year is going to be better than this year, if it's not that great." You know, he said, "I, I don't know farmers ever. I don't know if any farmers really got rich, but but he said, yeah, you, you make a living and whatever." He said. You make one good year, Mother Nature makes sure that that's taken care of a year ahead, next year or so. And he said that Mother Nature takes care of that. Yeah. <clears throat> I got thinking about that. And it's like, this man works with reality and with the weather, and you know, I often wonder, like, 
how can farmers keep going and you know keep the chin up you know when they have a bad year I mean, it's like my perspective is a lot shorter than all that you know it's like if I have a bad month and there's not quite enough money to go around I you know we, we go to the next month but not next year to this year whatever you know it's like this whole thing and you know and, and so you know it's like then I'm thinking is like so if I'm a whining Christian How long do you think I'll last? I thought he had pretty good realistic perspective of farming. You know, I, you know, he said not everybody's cut out to be a farmer. You know, it's like my son says, "No, nah, I ain't going to do that. I, I'm not putting all that money in the field, not knowing whether I'm going to get a harvest, good harvest or not." <laughs> Yeah, you know, I suppose farmers can whine about every anything. You know, Paul and I was talking about last night, and he said, you know, and he lied to there one time. They had this bumper crop. I mean, the corn was unbelievable. And the farmer came to church, and he said, you know, he said all oh, these tall stalks are so hard on the combine. I mean, you know, it's just like <laughs> processing all this stock through the combine. It's just hard on equipment, you know. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> but but and I got to think it's like okay overall overall now I'm not talking about a day or the next day or whatever it's like overall what can I expect in my Christian life Overall, is it realistic for me to think that this year and next 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 year are all going to be bumper crops? And if I have that expectation, what's going to happen if I have a tough year? And what kind of a future will I have? What are the probabilities of making it as a Christian if I got a poor mouth all the time? Realistically, what are the probabilities? Now, I'm not, you know, you can drop out of farming, I suppose, but you can't drop out of Christian life and make it. Doing something else. Alright, so you gotta make it. If you wanna get to heaven, if you wanna make it, you've gotta make it happen. Alright, so what is this, what is realistic? I struggle with it. I, I really struggle with this. Occasionally I'm asked to speak at Minister Study Week, and typically it's young ordained men. Alright, so 50% of the men probably ordained five years or less. 
When I was ordained, this minister came to our house and they stayed overnight. And he says to me, Dennis, he says, like, um, like, um, anybody ever chew you out? Like in the church? And I said, oh, no, no, they just didn't chew me out. You know, it's like, anybody ever tell you you're a rotten preacher? And I said, no, no, anybody ever tell me a rotten preacher? You know, he said, oh, I see. So he goes to Maryland and he tells my dad, oh, Dennis is on his honeymoon. Yeah. And about half irritated me. But it was true. Right. So, do we expect our Christian life to be a honeymoon? Okay, so I'm talking to these preachers. Do you tell a young, enthusiastic preacher that's on his honeymoon that someday you probably might, you're probably going to be tempted to just throw in the towel and quit. Do you tell him that? Is it fair for them to sit there and think that it's all going to be roses every year Year after year after year after year is going to be roses. Or do you prepare them for some tough times? That I struggle with. You don't want to squash their enthusiasm. Yet, you don't want to put them in a position that when they are going to face difficulty, as they will, and all of us will, that this is not going to blindside them. And that sooner or later they can expect that to happen. And to prepare themselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally for that event. How do you navigate through that? So the title of the message is, What Should I Realistically Expect in My Christian Life? And I'm in that quandary this morning. Alright, I am in that quandary this morning. I, I think this subject is crucial especially to us as residents of North America. Because we had it easy way too long. And I don't know how long it's going to be. I'm not saying it's going to change. I, I don't know what the future holds. I, I, I know who's going to be there when I get there. So God's taking care of all my ancestors up to this point and I expect he'll take care of all of them until he returns and so that's not the point God is more than able to take care of us but realistically I believe number one that some days are what we feel our spiritual condition is is going to feel stronger some days than other days
One advantage of being old is that you can look back and see a longer perspective. Alright? When I was younger, I experienced a lot more what I would call crisis. If I want to call them emotional crisis. Alright. Oh boy, you know, that broke or the refrigerator quit or how are we ever going to, you know, make this payment or that, you know, and it's like all stirred up about it. You know, it's like, what, what are we going to do now? Or, the, you know, and, and it's like you move kind of from one crisis to the next. Well, after you move enough through enough crisis and you know that those crises solve themselves, and you're down here somewhere, and you can't remember what those crises were anymore. Okay, it's like, no, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't quite as big a crisis as I think it is, emotionally. So, so you'll recognize, as you go through your Christian life, that there will be hills and there will be valleys. And that is normal. You know as well as I that discouragement's real. I mean, it's seriously real sometimes. You and I know that encouragement is real. And it's real. Some days are better than others. Physical challenges are real. Um, life situations are real. Some days are more difficult. You go to bed and you wonder if you got anything accomplished. Or you go to bed and you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But one thing I've learned, that when you get up, you'll have a better perspective than it did when you're shot and you're going to bed. So if, 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 I'm, if I'm like, okay, so I'm discouraged about something, it's like, okay, we'll just lay this down. Because I know, I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know at least my perspective is going to be better tomorrow morning than it is tonight. Because I'm all in. And you and I know that you can't turn on spirituality like this. Boom, it's not here today. Oh, today it is. Oh, disappeared. Oh, so I need a little more. So I go turn on another switch. That's not the way it works. There's some ebb and fall. You can expect that. I can expect that. Because of our, our relationship with God is a cultivated relationship, and we're back to the farmers again. So you, you plant, and it grows, and you weed, and, and you cultivate that. That don't happen overnight. That is a seasonal thing. So if you look back and you see hills and you see valleys and you happen to be in a valley right now, just realize that tomorrow will be better or next month. That cycle even may be, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months. 
or it even could be years say two or three years I look back on my life and I had a swell for about two years before I come up out of it and it was a deep swell But as you mature spiritually, and as we mature spiritually, you will find that as you look back, those hills and those swales, as a general rule, will be not as high necessarily and not as deep. So you look at somebody that is older, Today I look at older people and I get shook up about something. And it's just like, yeah, just wait a minute. You know, it's a second evening. Remember at Bible school and and uh, I was all stirred up about something. I don't know what it was. And I, I was unloading on Oliver Hess. You know, it's like, this should happen and that should happen and people should do this and people should do that. And I don't know why, whatever. I had this big old one. And he said, wait a minute, Dad. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, good things always happen slow. Don't expect your class or your congregation or your Bible school to go from lights off to light on overnight. Good things happen slow. See, we can beat ourselves to death because we think that we should be spiritual enough to come shooting up out of this valley and stay on this hill for a long, long time. Like, what's matter with me? That's not realistic. We set ourselves up for false expectations and when we don't meet them, we the devil takes us right down into that valley. I mean, and it's a ditch. So spiritual spirituality spirituality waxes and wanes sometimes. And not, don't be alarmed. Like the farmer, you have good years, you have bad years. You don't go out of business. But you know next year is going to be better. The question I have is like, when things are going well, do I spiritually prepare myself continue to strengthen myself for what the future may hold or do I squander my resources and then get there and I have nothing to like am I am I 
feeding my spiritual bank account so that I have some reserves when I get to that point. Realistically, you and I can expect, number two, that being a Bible-believing Christian will not always make you popular. Now, you and I know and expect that out there, among unbelievers, we're going to have a mixed review. All right, some some unbelievers say, "Oh, you know, these you know the Mennonites or the Christians are are the greatest people," you know, and they they say that. Well, I don't know, they mean it. I suppose they do. Whatever. But then there's some that it's just like, "You guys are stupid." I mean, it's like you must be all mentally challenged or something because it don't make any sense. You look, you may be looked down as inferior. Now that's not, we, we can understand that out there, alright? Because it's from an unbeliever's perspective. But what happens when a believer does that? And that will happen. Hopefully not in your congregation, but it will happen. As a Christian, you and I can probably expect that interpersonal relationships will be the probably the biggest challenge that we will face long term in our life. Interpersonal relationships will probably be one of the biggest challenges that we will face long term in our life. You know, you say, I, I wish that they would change. That's how we think. Something comes up and I wish that they would change. But most likely, God is saying, I wish that you would change. See, because interpersonal relationships have got two sides to it. So even though the other person may lack a Christian perspective or Christian behavior, that in itself, for me personally, is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is, what am I going to do about it? What is my response going to be? Am I going to have a negative response and put myself in a position where I can never help them? Or am I going to have a positive response to that negative behavior and then put myself in a position to reach out to them? You know, in Jesus' time, his biggest interpersonal relationship challenge was was the people that were supposed to be religious. And he had a continual uh, what can I say? I guess you call it challenge. I don't know. Continual challenge with the disciples. I, I mean, you know, it's like they're bickering back and forth. You know, he's saying, I'm going to die. And they're going to say, well, who's going to be biggest in the kingdom? He's like, wait a minute. You know, I, 
we're talking about serious stuff, and you're bickering around who's going to be the biggest in the kingdom. And it's like, come on! And, and these disciples were having their issues, and they were even having their issues with him. It was like, you're not doing this to me. I mean, you ain't washing my feet and telling him what to do when he's Lord of heaven and earth. And, and it's like, but he always kept himself in a, in a position where he could help them because he did not respond negatively to the negative behavior. And that was right in the group that he worked with day by day. It's unrealistic to think that in a congregation of believers that there's not going to be some interpersonal relationship issues. But what are we going to do about that? If I think, somehow or the other, because I'm the bishop that everybody's supposed to treat me like pie, then I'm setting myself up for a huge disappointment. If you think that because you are who you are, whatever. You know, we always think that we maybe deserve better than what we get. I don't know if that's true. So you're not going to necessarily be popular. But like Esther this morning, she wasn't looking to be popular. They tried to give her the makeup and all this stuff, and she said, no, 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 no. no. Forget it. No. I just want to be what God wants me to be, and the rest can fall. Number three, this is going to end up in a couple of sermons, so I can stop anywhere I want. So, like, I'm not trying to finish nothing up this morning. It's like, so you, you can just relax. <clears throat> I won't tell you how many I think that's going to end up being, because... Number three, there's going to be days, realistically, there's going to be days in your life where God doesn't make sense. And you can't seem to figure him out. Now we think that we should be able to make sense of what God does. But the Bible tells us that God's ways are so far above our ways that we can't comprehend them, alright? So now, if you cannot comprehend, totally comprehend God, then the logical question is, can I comprehend what all he's doing? And the answer, obvious answer to that, at times, no. For a farmer, it's like, God knows we need rain. Why doesn't he send us rain? It makes sense. He knows I'm here. He knows I, I need to feed my cattle. He knows I need rain. Why don't he just go ahead and give us rain? But he doesn't give us rain. Alright? So the next time, there's rains and rains and rains and rains and rains trying to get your crop in. And you're like, 
Doesn't God know it's time to shut off the water? And if I could figure God out, say I could figure God out, where would faith come in? The Bible talks about faith. So if I could figure everything God out, why would God even talk about faith in the Bible? It wouldn't even make any sense that he would talk about faith in the Bible. If I could figure everything out, if I knew why everything happened and how it happened and for what reason it happened and all that, why would... And if I never... And since we can't figure that all out, and since we do need to exercise faith... If God left us live a life that didn't require much faith, how could I ever become stronger spiritually if I never flexed my faith muscles? I would become a spiritual wimp if I never flexed my faith muscles. And if I never if I never exercise faith in my walk with God, how could God ever reward my faith? See, He's looking to reward our faith. He wrote a whole chapter in the Bible about this issue of faith and how people did it and how it was, and and they couldn't figure it out. I mean, could you figure out why people were getting the saw and cut you in half? It said they saw them in sunder and they running through the woods and they're in the caves and they're all these places. And it's like, what was happening there? They were flexing their faith muscles. And God said, that's the kind of people that I have extremely high respect for. They couldn't figure me out. But they knew I was there and they had faith in me and they knew that I'm going to take care of them. And they're faith, flexing their faith muscles and God says, that's my kind of people. And beside that, how would the coming generation ever know that your faith was real if they never saw you flexing it? You see... Proof that God exists, God exists, and that He's worth serving, in the minds of the coming generation is solidified by the older generation saying, I can't figure it out, I don't know what's going on, but I know God's here, and He's going to be here tomorrow, and He's going to be with us, and they watched that happen. How will they ever be convinced if God left us just slide our way into glory. The Bible says that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Not he that coasted to the end shall be saved. The Bible presupposes by that statement that it's not going to be an easy road. There's going to be some enduring. There's going to be some faith muscles flexed. 
There's going to be some times where we don't understand. And it doesn't make sense. But we're going to keep going anyhow. And will the coming generation be convinced pardon me of the authenticity of God if I as an older Christian whine and complain all the time about woe is me this and that and the other and refuse to reflect to flex my faith muscles. Am I willing to let God paint a bigger picture in my life than I can currently see? Because I have this tunnel vision, and it's just about this wide. Alright, so you say you have a little peripheral vision, whatever, but things kind of fade out. So what happens everything else back here that I don't see? Do I understand that life is unpredictable? Am I fully aware that God in His infinite wisdom is attempting to make me a better Christian? Can I do that? Is that realistic? Now a positive one. More positive one. I believe we can realistically, realistically expect that in my Christian life that my fellowship with other believers is going to be a unique relationship that is far better than any other relationships that we have can experience in this world. God has given us tremendous blessing in the church. We as God's people, and getting more specific, here at Prairie, define the term family in ways that no non-Christian will ever begin to understand. We're brothers and sisters exercising care and loyalty following the lead of our Heavenly Father. That's family. It's unrealistic to think that I can have relationships with non-Christians that are anywhere close to what I can have right here. You ever feel like running away? It's like, I'm just sick of this. Like Whatever it is, you know, you're, you're in this valley somewhere. It's like, I wish I could just 
drive off into the sunset. You know, but David said, David, you know, I, I like David. He's so realistic. He said, oh, I just wish I could have wings and just fly away. Like, just just, just fly away. I don't know if he even knew where he was going to fly, but he just flew away. You know, he just wanted to fly away. He just wanted to fly away. If you have any intentions of flying out into our ungodly culture, rest assured you will discover that the term family is almost non-existent. You'll find out what the prodigal son found out. He went out there and he thought he was going to have a lot of fun. You know, all these friends. You know, we have friends in church. And I guess he thought maybe if he had friends in church, he could have friends out, out there somewhere. But he found himself in a batch of friends that, I don't know, maybe they nuzzled up to him. Maybe they kept him warm at night. I don't know. But they stunk. He ended up in the pig pen. Number five, and this will be the last one. I had seven, so I got five out of seven. So, <clears throat> man, I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing a multiple thing here, so I don't feel under pressure. Number five, realistically, you can expect that people will sometimes let you down. And that might be even your church leaders. You expected one thing and you got something else. And maybe you were disappointed. I don't know. But the fact is, realistically, one of the reasons why other people will let you down is because you will occasionally let other people down. They expected more of you and they didn't get it. And so they're disappointed. To me, it's simply amazing. We as ministry can get together and we can pray together and we can seek God's direction together and we can weigh circumstances and we can make a decision and we can go with that decision thinking that is probably a good decision but two months later we can look back and we say you know what that decision could have been a whole lot better not it was terrible but it could have been a whole lot better So the question is not, do I make mistakes and let people down? That's not the question, because we all do it. 
in our humanity, we will all do it. But the question is, when I discover that I've made a mistake and I let somebody down, what am I going to do about that? that that's the big question. Am I Christian enough? Am I godly enough to go back and say, you know what? I'm really sorry about that. It was bad news. And then if someone else leaves us down, am I Christian enough to accept that apology and drop it? And I mean, drop it. Just plain drop it. See, the devil don't want us to drop it. Am I godly enough to drop it? Willis told us that we've got these big boxes in our life and like we're doing this thing and we're not we're growing spiritually but God's grace makes up the difference, right? And that's what he told us. Okay? So we are imperfect. The grace of God makes up the difference. But we got to acknowledge when that is not what it should be. And then, am I Christian enough and godly enough and spiritually enough to accept the fact that I made a mistake and forgive myself for making that mistake? See, the devil wants us to say, oh, you made that mistake, you bungled that up, don't ever try that again. See, that's, that's his theory. Don't ever try that again. Okay, so if you don't try this, and you don't try that because you make a mistake, and you don't try this, or you make a mistake, and you try that, and you make a mistake, he got you neutralized. You're done. I'm done. Because I'm too proud to try again. Because I'm afraid that I'll make a mistake and I'll let somebody down again. Then I go back, I have to go back again. You see? You see, that's why He created the church. That's why God created the church. So with your strength offsetting my deficiencies and maybe a strength or something here that I have and offset some deficiency somewhere else, see the, 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 the whole gist of, of the church is that we together allowing our strengths to make up other people's weaknesses and accept them and work together and together we can make it into heaven as a group.
Now, I have no idea what it would be like to be a single pastor in a church, but that has to be one of the most awkward situations that you can ever find yourself in. Because of such a narrow view, like you have nobody else's perspective to work with, very few, you know, so you, so you kind of muddle along all by yourself. That's why I think God wants three-part ministry. That's why God wants us as his people to look at life realistically and understand that I need to appreciate and to embrace other people's strengths and I need to be tolerant enough to accept that they have weak areas too and not be too proud to try again. And that's why God made Christ head of the church because even in our all of our strengths we don't have it. No, no. It's our Heavenly Father and His Son, and His Son Jesus Christ that empowers all of us to be what He wants us to be. Even though occasionally we will let each other down. It's realistic.